Hey everyone, Zach Dixon here, and welcome to our 57th episode of Animalators. Curious conversations from the world of animation. Today on the show, we have Mandy Wykins, a London-based director at Studio AKA. Mandy has worked with clients like Disney, Leica, Cartoon Network, and Passion Pictures. Today on the show, we'll talk about her chaotic path in developing her craft and voice, and we'll talk about the long transition from a passion for drawing to becoming a represented director. I'm excited to get into all of this and more on this week's episode of Animalators. Well, Mandy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks for inviting me. So you are um, fairly new at Studio AKA. You just um, started with them five months ago. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you are up to there. Uh, I've recently joined in. And at first, I just came as a designer. And then they put me on uh, as a director. And um, basically, that means um, that uh, I have to pitch uh, for some uh, commercial project, and whenever, if ever, I win them, uh, I just direct some people to just try to make uh, good videos. And um, whenever I'm not doing that, I'm just like uh, working on my personal project there. So that's that's about it. Sweet. So tell us a little bit about the the pitch processing or the way that the pitch process goes at Studio AKA. Well, one of the producer usually come to me and they say, "Oh, there's this pitch," and uh, Usually they come with pitch that are like uh, more tailored to what I do, and uh, then I produce a couple of images and uh, for and a, and, a, and a concept, and I write it and I make images and then I submit it and hopefully sometimes the clients uh, pick it up. <laughs> um, but I've been told a lot that uh, usually it's like one in, one in ten. Wow, that gets picked. Has it been your experience so far in the the five months? Uh, not so much. I think I've been mostly busy with like one big project. Okay. Uh, we just came to an end, so I haven't had like too much pitching going on just yet. Um, but soon, soon I will have to get back to that. <laughs> Very nice. So is it, are you pretty much making up style frames and the treatments? You just kind of go off by yourself for a little while and do it, or do you bring other collaborators in on those, that process? Knowing that me, I'm more like, um, a designer as well, so I, I produce all my images and do all of it by myself. And I guess um, so far I've been also art directing everything. Uh, but when the occasion uh, will present itself and I will need people, well, I will uh, I will uh, give somebody else uh, the design, which is actually pretty crazy to me. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you, how do you feel like uh, about doing that? Because I know that can be tough, especially with someone who's as talented a designer and illustrator. Uh, as yourself, like kind of giving up that control? Uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think you know, when you got a team, you just try to find what are their strong point and just make them bring it up, bring it out uh, in the best way. So I think it's a, it's a state of mind. I have to get in. If, uh, if I have to do this, I will, I shouldn't think, oh, this is how I would have done it. I should think, oh, how to best exploit the talent of the person um, who's uh, who's working for me? So that should be should be like this. 
Yeah, no, that's great. Do you do you ever struggle with like um, this is something I do and I'm trying to figure out right now. So I'm just personally asking. Like I, I feel like sometimes it's hard to know how much um, direction to give. Like how prescriptive do I need to be? Like do you see things very clearly in your head and then you're trying to get that out of other people? I think I've got a conceptual idea of it, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't want to be too specific because I know how it would. Um, and close the person into a very tiny corner. So usually I'm more open at the beginning, and then I, if I see that it's not going in the right direction, I can um, close it up. Yeah. But usually I think the first instinct would be to first give, if there is time for this, give a lot of trust to the person who's in charge of the design or something. And I'm curious, are you pitching against other directors at Studio AKA as well, um, going to the clients? <laughs> I think it's not really against, actually, because one of the Sorry, very good things... Sorry, against is a bad word. <laughs> well, no, no, I think it's more like uh, we all pitch uh, on it, on pitches, mm-hmm. uh, but we are all very, very different, which is one of the great things. Uh, we have very different style and very different approach. Um, so it's not personal, you know, it's not a, it's not a battle. It's just like... The client will pick whatever is more more suited. So yeah. And will you do like multiple treatments and multiple looks for a single project, or you just come up with one unique vision? Yeah, just one. Nice. Yeah, I I I've always look at people who are doing like multiple like different styles and style frames for pitches, and I'm like, how how do you do that? I always get so attached like to my my one idea. I don't know if that's good or not, but. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's part of your job to be really decisive mm. in what you are offering. I mean, that's that's part of your job, I think. Well, cool. So I'd like to get into a little bit of, of your background. I was reading a, an article that you did. It's on a, a site called 99% Lifestyle. Um, and you mentioned that you had a bit of a chaotic path in terms of finding your craft and your voice. Uh, and I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, that's kind of calls for a long answer <laughs> that's uh, great. But <laughs> basically it's also like the fact that um, I didn't start uh, drawing uh, very early I think I really picked up drawing uh, seriously when I was 19 so usually at that age um, things are already sorted out or you got like a clear idea of what you wanted for me I think um, I've been drawing for a long time but um, I've been also very discouraged to keep going on in that direction and not by my parents or anything more like, uh, friends were better than me, were just advising me and they were being realistic, I think about my abilities. So I was just like, okay, I'll just do something where I'm really good at. And I did, um, I was a good student at school, um, reasonably good student. So I thought I would go into, um, classic studies um, serious studies, uh, like literature. So that's what I did when I graduated high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. I started drawing when I went to, um, to that college. So it's a late start already. And I call it chaotic because I think I was very tough on myself when I started learning about it. I was producing a lot, but throwing away a lot, being really mean about, um, my abilities, um, I was trying really hard. And then when I went to art school, I went to very sort of tough love uh, sort of school. Um, things would be really difficult. And uh, I would always, everything would be like always like a, a struggle uh, to get an ID through, to, to stand, to 
um, Stand My Grounds. And um, every time, uh, I think I was putting every time a lot of effort. And, uh, and I've been, uh, I wanted to give up a lot of time. So I think that's why I call it chaotic because it's late and it's um, not only it's late, but it's, it was not easy. <laughs> yeah, most people have a more straight path. I feel like I've been like going through the small path on the side to get to the same point. So that's what I call chaotic. What do you think pushed you through those kind of no's? Uh, I think I'm very stubborn, actually. Uh, I don't like when somebody tells me I cannot do something. <laughs> uh, maybe that's a, that's a lot of negative energy, I guess. But for me, whenever somebody tells me that it's not possible, I feel like I really want to prove them wrong and tell them that yeah, I can, I can do it. I can, I can, uh, I can do all these things. But was there like kind of this underlying desire just to create art? Like, did you always want to be an artist or tell stories? What was kind of the underlying motivator in that regard? I think I just really love drawing. That's uh, that's very simple. Uh, I love, I love to do this, and I, I remember really hoping that there would be a job where I would be able to do that all day that would be really great but i knew uh how little uh, chances there is that it exists or how very little people can make it so i knew that i would have to just uh try really hard to if i really wanted this yeah so uh, tell me a little bit about your experience then in, in school um because you went to a few different schools then so as i was saying earlier uh i went to a literature school I managed to graduate from this. Um, I, I can be a French teacher, actually. Nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at the end of my uh, years, I was like, oh, um, maybe, maybe all these drawings that I've been draw doing, and maybe, like, maybe they are valid. Maybe a school would be okay to train me. Or um, so I went. I, I did like just one uh, contest to a school that was like nearby uh, my home. I was like, I'm just going to try it. And uh, I told my parents just to see uh, if I can do it. I'm just going to try it. And I tried and it worked. So I just decided to go in. And I did three years of illustration slash um, uh, design over there. But it was a very uh, old-fashioned school in some ways, like a very had a very specific idea of what illustration was. And I had to do lots of painting and everything, but I was not, not great at this. But there was like digital classes for which I got really passionate about. And I learned Photoshop, I learned Illustrator, I learned After Effects. And from there, I was also watching a lot of animation blogs. So um, I started to want to do animation. So instead of graduating like other students um, who do uh, illustration books, I decided to do a film and I decided that, oh, maybe I can present that film to Goblin, which is a school that I kept hearing about uh, from all of my friends. Uh, and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this film. I'm going to do a portfolio for this whole year. I'm going to present it to them and, you know, I'll take the contest and if it works, uh, <laughs> I'll go there. Uh, but there was like little chances, but I still took it and it worked. I went into Goblin for three other years 
And on my final year, I did an exchange with Colors as well. So I think I've done a lot of schools. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I don't know, maybe I didn't thought I was, uh, you know, every time I was going out of school, I was like, oh, I got a diploma, but I'm pretty sure I'll never get a job with it. <laughs> so I was, I was doing another school after. So yeah, maybe it's a very European thing to say. No, that's great. I mean, is there anything like thinking back kind of over, I don't know, is there any like kind of macro lessons that you, you've you you've learned over that, that period of, of your many different schoolings? That uh, if I had thought a bit earlier about what I really wanted to do, it would have been much <laughs> faster. Um, but I think every everything has a reason, I suppose. And um, it is still useful that I did all of this because um, it makes me a different person also. And it, it all uh, holds together in a way, I suppose. Because a lot of time, uh, my friends hear me being like, oh, I'm so old that I did all this school and blah, blah, blah. I could have been like a professional for a long time. But actually, I probably wouldn't be the same person if I didn't do all that. So oh, yeah. it's probably on the big scale of thing uh, necessary, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. I want to think this. Um, you, you mentioned in, in one of the interviews with you that I found um, that you're quite sensitive about the, the whole sociological aspect of education. Um, could you tell me a little more about that? I think it's, uh, it's because uh, I don't come from uh, the, the richest families. Um, I come uh, from a very humble background. And um, I've been going to school in actually good school. My parents were putting me in. So a lot of time I was put with people from uh, upper social class. Um, and it's been always, it's always been like a struggle to um, acquire the social codes um, from upper class. Uh, and then obviously I was standing out a lot, which obviously created also a lot of, uh, and everything came to me like um, very late. So I'm very sensitive to that sort of um, sociological difference um, with people because sometimes people don't realize that things that are obvious for them in terms of privilege is not obvious to you. And many times I find myself being a little hurt by this, even still, even now. And, uh, I kind of wish to tell them, but at the same point, I don't want to be. I don't want to be a dick. So <laughs> I'm. Uh, it's always a, a tough, a tough spot to be in because people think uh, that you have the same experience as, as them, but you really don't. Yeah. So how how can we be better at that as as an industry, as you know, studio mates, or yeah, how can we be better at that? Well, I think it's like about everything. It's just about having some empathy for the person in front of you always or not always um, go for the most, uh, not always believe what you see, but always assume that uh, people have layers. I think that's, that'd be about it. So, okay, after school, um, you did the exchange at, at CalArts, and I understand you interned at Disney. Uh, I interned in Disney before uh, I went to CalArts, like the oh, summer before. Okay. Yeah, it was, a, <laughs> it was a big discovery at the time. <laughs> uh, the, whole, the whole American industry uh, in all its, I will say, ridiculousness, because, you know, 
you come from from Europe and suddenly you're like in a studio where uh, uh, they can do your laundry and they bring you cake <laughs> in the morning and uh, and you're just like what's happening and uh, it's a uh, you're so well cared for that you're wondering what's happening to you and uh, <laughs> and you feel like I really don't deserve to be that spoiled. So yeah, Disney was an interesting experience. Yeah, what what was your what was your role there? Uh, I was I was just an intern. So um, basically, on one side, uh, you had to do a small film in group uh, with the other interns, and on the other side, you had like a mentor, and uh, I had like the best mentor. I had a uh, Corey Loftus. And he was um, helping me on a on a project that was assigned, and uh, we were doing paintings about Call of the Wild. And I say we because I was trying to paint and I was not really good. And Corey was picking me up and telling me how to do things better. And I think that's the part that I uh, enjoyed most about um, this internship. You know, I think for every intern who went there, it's like a it's like a strange experience in the sense that. Um, you know, you're in Disney and you're supposed to be good enough to justify that you're there, uh, but you don't feel that good enough. So when the internship ends, you just start working like a crazy person to get better <laughs> because you feel like you just wasted that opportunity. So it's a very intense experience. I think we've like lots of uh, post-traumatic syndrome. <laughs> oh, no. Wow, that sounds crazy. So is that something, um, could you see yourself going back to Disney ever at some point? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, in the sense that um, I've had like a lot of feedback from uh, from people and everything from the American industry, but especially from Disney as well, that uh, sure, uh, my work is nice, but I think I'm a bit too uh, strong-willed or <laughs> set in my own ways, and I don't want to make uh, the effort to do something that looks like what they do. And if I don't want to make the effort, then I won't get hired. So I'm just, I don't want to give in at this, because I don't want to compromise my identity, but they don't want either to make a step toward me either. So we're just, I think we're just going to stand in our corner and, and be waving to each other, you know? So there's no hard feeling, just uh, we're, we don't feel very com- compatible, I guess. So I'm curious how that works then with, with client work. Because, um, of course, you have your, your own voice and your own opinions, but then also, ultimately, you're there to accomplish you know, some sort of goal or align with some kind of brand. I think that's a big struggle I had, especially when I started, because I really wanted to, to have a job like anyone. And on one hand, there was jobs that were asking me to to change and to do something in, in a way that was not mine. And on the other side, I really wanted to to do things my way. So at first, I was in a, an in-between, and I was trying to do a mix, trying to give them a little bit and take a little bit to feel that I kept like some integrity, but still, I did the job. And as time go by, I was lucky enough uh, really lucky enough so that people would appreciate my work enough so that they would come to me and ask me to do what I do. And usually that's what happened now. People ask me to do my thing. That's great. And yeah, I'm, I know that it's very rare and I'm pretty lucky that it happens. So I just hit like the, the demands that they're saying, like uh, we want a character like this, like this, like this, but I can do it my way. And they are very accept- acceptant of it. So that's that's really great. Tell me a little bit about how you found uh, your way, like that that voice um, 
Is that something that you've been pursuing actively or is it just kind of developed naturally over time? Uh, I think uh, it's a bit time for like a, not like a sub story, but uh, a little story time. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, you know, I went to Colorado, it was cool. I came back to France and then I got a, a job um, in a US company and I went there. And for many reasons, I went back to France. And I realized when I went back to France that, oh, I got, uh, I got no client here. I know nobody because all of my network is in US. Uh, so how do I make a living and, uh, what do I do? So I didn't know really. So I took like jobs, um, that I could find. So at that time, uh, maybe a year after graduation, I was doing compositing. Uh, I was, a, I was a lead compositing person and I was, I had like a long commute to go to work about, uh, 40 minutes an hour. So I was doing a lot of drawing in the subway <laughs> I really love watching people and everything and draw them so I was just doing that and posting them uh, online and it was um, Dave Prosser who's now in Moth but who was back then at Studio AK who saw my work and submitted to see to people from AK they gave me my first design job, and I was just so happy because I was be able I was able to do characters, and nobody ever paid me to do like to do drawings of characters. It was like you know like the dream. Yeah. And then other jobs keep coming in, and I was keep drawing. And you know, when I was in school, I was always thinking that I would be a background designer because um, I didn't draw all so well, and there was people who were much more talented than me. I really loved drawing character, but I was so bad. I thought. I'd never make a job out of it. Um, so I think after graduating, I just went back to do things I loved, uh, which is drawing. And without thinking that I was bad or not, I just did it. And people apparently appreciated and found me. And then I kept doing it. And since I was paid to do it and, uh, and I kept having steady work and uh, I was getting a little bit more confident with time, I, that's that's how I kept going i think it was a a bit of a, a bit of luck and a, and a bit of just keep doing what i liked without thinking about it and all along in this process you were posting all the work online yeah usually i was trying to to post it online because i knew that uh if i was if i wanted to be that stubborn and never really wanted to give in to someone and always wanted to do my thing. Um, if I wanted to do this, I would also have to advertise this. So I tried to steadily post online what I was doing because I was really looking for, for jobs. And um, I wanted to, to, have, to show that I could design things as well. And um, I liked sharing my uh, sketchbooks as well. And uh, that's, that's how um, a lot of things started. How did you kind of flip your mindset? I mean, you said that there were there were people who kind of told you, like, you know, your, your drawings are no good. You, you can't draw characters. Um, how did you flip that? Well, at first, really early on, uh, after high school and everything, I just used that as a, as a negative energy. And the more I was told I couldn't, the more I would do it. And then, like, for instance, in Goblin, you know, everybody drew really well. And there is people who are amazing character designer and everything. And 
I tried to find first a zone where um, nobody else was. That's why I did like a lot of colors, a lot of backgrounds. And then as far as drawing go, I think I just, I just liked it. And I just, even if I would do it for myself, then I would keep doing it. It didn't matter if nobody liked it or if, uh, if I was not as good as my uh, classmates. They were not next to me and uh, they were not judge- judging me. And I could always rely on the fact that, oh, at the time I was doing, um, you know, I was drawing people in the subway. So it was only observation. There was, uh, it didn't imply creativity. Uh, it didn't imply that 100% creativity. The challenge I was putting to myself was, oh, I got one minute before this person just uh, stand up and go out of the subway. So I got to do it fast. I got to, I got to draw exactly what I liked about this person because I want to remember what I liked in it. So I was putting myself in a very focused place in my mind and uh, only drawing um, uh, spontaneously so that I don't have time to think that I'm insecure. <laughs> uh, and the more you do it, the less insecure you become and you're just like, yeah, well, I'm just, just trying what I'm seeing. And if you don't like it, just you can just scroll, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think I started becoming less concerned about the reception on my level. I was just doing it. And being in the in the action, in the moment, in the movement is, is one of the things that makes you forget that uh, you can be judged by a million people who just will think you, you're not good. I'm a huge fan of Leica, um, and I know that you, you spent some time there. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Actually, I went to Leica House, which is like a commercial division of uh, Leica. So I lived in Portland for seven months. And I visited Leica and everything, but I never worked on a big uh, Leica production. Uh, I just stay, stick to the um, commercial side of it. Very cool. Yeah, no, their commercial side is is pretty unreal. Uh, what what was the projects like that you were working on? Uh, there was lots of different things. It was a lot of pitching and uh, uh, yeah, I remember at one time. Uh, honestly, I was uh, painting uh, M and M's. Uh, <laughs> characters uh it was a i don't think it was um my uh, best uh, work experience the company and everything was was uh, was nice but i think uh i was not very suited uh to to that project and uh, i'm not sure they knew exactly what to do with me uh so i was just going from project to project and uh, uh at the end i was just uh i thought it was maybe i was not made to do commercial Gotcha. No, that makes sense. And then, so I understand then you went kind of dove into full-time freelance after this. Was that kind of like, you know, not, not quite working out at like a, like let, let's try freelance work. Like what kind of gave you uh, the confidence to kind of step out into that freelance space? Can that, Cause that can definitely be a, a really scary jump. Uh, actually, um, I don't think it was a conscious decision. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, yeah. I think it's just like, I came back to France and I remember at the time I thought that I did like, a, I didn't did a lot of fulfilling professional projects and um, I wanted to do something creative. So I did like a, a small uh, music video with friends for, for a small band um, and it was like uh, not the, the best paying job of my life. So 
at some point after that, I was like, okay, I, uh, I need to, I need to do something. So that's when the compositing jobs came in that um, I did as a freelance, but in house. And then the real jump into freelance is that um, I didn't found a lot of jobs because my profile was so peculiar. So uh, I called back uh, Josh Parpen, who at the time was the art director on uh, the TV show Star and the Forces of Evil. And he gave me like a couple of gigs where, where I had to paint uh, backgrounds. And then, um, and then I took another compositing job. And then uh, the character design gig from AK came. And then other gigs kept coming. And then it's sort of like all wrapped up together. And I became this full-on freelancer before I noticed. And it's just because I didn't manage to find like um, a steady, steadier position. So the freelancer thing was what happened to me. Okay, so you spent you know a few years um, freelancing, and then now you're you're back on staff. So could you talk a little bit about kind of freelance life versus um, you know studio full time staff work? The, the cliche is true. Freelance life, uh, it's a lot of freedom, but at the same time, uh, sometimes you don't get a lot of evenings because you're working and you, you don't put yourself a time limit. You're starting a little bit late, but then you're finishing your day a little bit late. And I know that I've got this tendency also to want to give a maximum. So, you know, since I work on paper, for instance, I would draw um, a lot of drawings for the whole day and then around five, I would be, oh, it's time to scan everything and clean it up. And then it would take much more time than I thought it would. And then I, and I finish around uh, midnight and I'm just um, not spending my evening to myself or with my companion. And I'm just, oh, well, uh, that's not good. <laughs> so it can be very hectic. Um, you don't have like a constant uh, source of income. It varies. Sometimes it's like, oh, I got lots of money. And then you're just like, oh, actually, I don't have any money. Oh, Jesus. And uh, on, on comparison so far, AKA is, is like a, Studio AK is like a good people. So they kick me out at six, uh, whatever happened. They kick me out at six uh, at the end of the day. They, I got like a steady income. Um, I got my weekends. Uh, I don't have to worry about uh, what will be the next gig. Uh, there will be something. Uh, I don't have to constantly being uh, advertising what I do um, because I need to remind people that I exist and that they can hire me. You know, it's a freelance is a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of organization, and I feel like it's something you can do for a while. Or you know, I try different things like. I tried working from home as a freelance. I tried to work in a workshop. Uh, but actually, even if I work in a workshop, I feel like since I'm not obliged to be there, I can. I sometimes skip and I'm not regular. So at some point, I was exhausted by the lack of regularity. And uh, I was exhausting about chasing clients. So I was just... Um, I really wanted to get a, a steadier job just to chill, but also... <laughs> I realize there's like bigger things behind this. Like speaking of personal work, um, I thought I had a lot of time to create personal work when I was a freelance, but actually every time I wanted to create something personal, it also had a cost. 
because if I was working for myself, I was not working for money, so it was like uh, it could be an issue. And I feel like here I can still work on personal things and there is time and I don't have to worry about other aspects. And um, the last thing I discovered is that uh, I was pretty surprised is that AK, Studio AK is like a, is a studio, which means I have people behind me who are here to help me about everything and who are encouraging me to pitch for bigger projects to, for TV shows or other thing. And they're really, uh, like they're opening um, possibilities to me that before felt like they were unrealistic things. So I feel much more uh, surrounded by people who want to help and until before I was on my own and trying to make it work the best way. So that's my take on it so far. Do you still um, spend some time in the off hours drawing or, or doing things for, for social or even bigger personal projects? I still do. But I will admit that living in London has made me discover that there is like a very intense social life. So I spend actually a lot of time uh, relaxing nice. or being outside. That's great. Uh, though I still, I always draw, but I guess I'm not, I'm not too, uh, like I'm not putting a lot of pressure on myself to do it. So let's let's talk a little bit about the future. I mean, we had we had talked about um, kind of before we started. Um, you maybe have some some short films uh, in the work, and maybe maybe some other projects. Yeah. So um, I got actually two short films. Uh, I want um, I'm developing uh, one that is more narrative and written and more uh, overall serious. And the second one that is more of a of an experiment, I'll say. And um, I know that it's kind of a weird one. And um, I don't think I've seen a lot of others like this. So I think it's my it's my weird baby. I will just uh, <laughs> keep keep crying it, and we'll see where it goes. And um, I'd like to go back a lot into writing. So I got like this small children book um, on the side. And overall, you know, you know, I um, I'd like to put that literature background to use at some point. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, you are <laughs> very well schooled in French literature. So yeah, when I was when I was actually in uh, in university, I wanted to I want to be a, a children's book writer. Oh wow! Yeah, and I kind of switched to to drawing because I thought there was no chance I would be able to uh, become a writer because you know. <laughs> It's always something um, very rare as well and a really tough profession, I think. Yeah, but here you are doing it, writing a, a children's book. Yeah, and illustrating them. So, you know, I can, I can do I can do it. Yeah, that's awesome. That'd be cool. And that's that's it so far. You know, it's okay. I could maybe pitch TV shows. I could, I could write script for bigger things. I feel like all these things, for some reason, were sort of like forbidden and like so distant that I shouldn't even try it because there would never be like a... An opportunity to actually do these things and i feel like now oh actually maybe it's things that i can start thinking of but it's all very new to me yeah that's awesome though i look forward to seeing some of those things um hopefully in the in the near future so let's talk a little bit about um kind of that that evolution of you know loving to try a lot of different things i mean obviously you 
you you you know you used to focus entirely on just drawing, but now now you're directing. You're you're bringing entire projects to life. Talk me through that development a little bit. I used to be doing a lot of things, and I you know I've got I've got different style in the sense that the way I paint is very blocky. It's a way of thinking that is different from when I do lines, which is different when I do character, which is different when blah, blah, blah. And I feel like maybe, you know, directing maybe is a, is a good choice for all oh, this choice I cannot make. Like, I cannot decide to be one thing or another. But directing is sort of like um, including everything at once. Uh, narration and cinematography and then design and how to pull this together. With also a little bit of a social skill and client handling skills, <laughs> so I think maybe it's like a it's like a a combination of all things I like to do, and I never know which which one is uh, the most important for me. Any of those skills been like particularly harder to learn than others? There is one that is like uh, freaking me out, <laughs> uh, which is uh, and you're going to laugh at this one, but the boarding process. Really. I really doubt myself a lot on the boarding process. I do it, but I'm like, I wonder if a professional storyboarder would tell me this is terrible, actually. <laughs> I feel that way about most steps in the process, so I feel like <laughs> you're probably doing pretty well. But um, that's interesting because like, drawing is, is definitely like kind of, I think, part of the core of you know where all this was kind of built on top of. Do you just feel like they're not going to turn into like, great frames later or not communicating well or like what's kind of that that hurdle i don't know i feel like it's more like i think i've got like this very idealized idea of what a, a good storyboarder is and how mm. in control they are and i i think it's just like a huge lack of confidence on it i think i will still do it because that's what i have to um but sometimes if i was asked to present that in front uh, of a fellow professional storyboard artist i would probably be very shy so maybe it's just like a you know there's areas like this you're not feeling that confident about and you have to just work on it and i know i just have to work on it so that's that's one of my uh challenge uh, these days are there any full-time uh boarding people at ak no but i think uh, depending on project uh, we we got some people who can come in one of the things with Studio AK is that I've worked a lot with Mark Krast, who's one of the directors there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mark always do his own storyboards. And he's the person that I'm referring to uh, a lot. Or I did I'm trying to, like, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to do what he does. And, uh, yeah, I think I want to be able to do things the way he does them. So I want to be able to, to board as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And it sounds great to kind of have that network of of other directors around you as well too to kind of um i don't know do you do you ever talk about the projects together with with other directors before kind of thinking about them oh yeah we're not at all like uh isolated in the studio it's more like a i think sure everybody's in charge of something but uh they will give you feedbacks or opinion or especially you know as a as a new director there and uh, there's a lot of uh, experimented other directors around. Uh, they are really ready to uh, help you out and uh, they are very uh, looking at your growth and how to improve things. So they, they really are helpful uh, on all of these things. And, you know, I'm still, after all, like a, a, a beginner in all this. So 
I'm really happy to have them around uh, to guide me for all this. So yeah, it's a, it's a safe environment to learn. Yeah. Speaking of learning, is there anything um, that you feel like you're learning right now or you're actively trying to get to get better, I guess, other than storyboards? Uh, various, but it's not directly linked uh, to directing, actually. Um, I think I'm exploring a lot um, illustration. Hmm. Um, and I feel like it's, it's a weird thing because a lot of people, and I think including you, would describe me as an illustrator and a designer. Uh, but actually, I'm not an illustrator in the sense that every illustration that I do, I do them for myself. Uh, everything I do is very um, is very selfish and is just um, part of my own enjoyment. And um, I'm trying to to see what it is like uh, to do illustration on a more professional level. And uh, I'm really getting uh, very passionate about about it uh, these days, and that's uh, that's something uh, I'm trying to uh, explore more. Uh, I don't know if you can say learning, but at least exploring would be a a great uh, a great word for it. Well, great. Well, we we try and uh, end every episode with the same few questions. Uh, so the first mm-hmm. is, who is a dream client of yours? I'd like to do uh, one of those uh, Google Spotlight stories. Oh, yes. I'd like to be able to do something narrative and to use different technologies maybe, or uh, I'd like to, to try a, a project that's both special and demand, like, that is very limited in terms of design or has like very uh, particular demands and try to get the challenge to, to make it work. Uh, I think... Yeah, something very narrative, but still has a challenge to it, is something that I'd like that I'd like to do. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, well, Google, if you're listening, <laughs> please give give Mandy a spotlight story. That'll be amazing. Uh, all right. Next question: Your favorite animated film? Recently, one of my favorite films has been like Revolting Rhymes. Oh. Because it was very clever. They were well written. The design was great. And the humor was quirky, and everything fell into place in such a such a perfect way. I felt like it was both a children book, uh, sort of like a, a children poem or something. At the same time, something beautiful. I think that's mm. that's one of the things I really like. Very cool. I'll have to check that out. It's on uh, Netflix apparently, which is great. Yeah, it is. Very cool. All right, next question. What do the people you love think that you do for a living? <laughs> um, I think uh, my family usually tells me whenever they see an animated film, whatever it is, <laughs> and um, they think that I'm doing that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think they've got a, quite, a, quite a vague idea of what I do. They know that I'm very busy, that I'm uh, always abroad. And uh, that I do cartoons. <laughs> Very nice. All right, last last question. What animal did you choose for your animalator and why? I haven't picked it up yet because I still have to do it. <laughs> nice. Usually I go for something very classic like a fox. Very nice. Well, I'm, I can't wait to see it. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Well, Mandy, thanks so much for giving us your time and coming on the show. I, I super appreciate it. Well, thanks a lot for inviting me. 
Animalators is created by the team at IV, recorded in the Weld Nashville studio, and produced by Chad Michael Snavely. To keep up with the work we're doing at IV, visit iv.studio or follow us on Twitter at Identity Visuals. You can also follow Animalators on Twitter at Animalators to keep up with all of the new episodes. And be sure to check out animalators.com to see every animation from all of our guests. To find out more about Mandy and her work, you can follow her on Instagram at Mandy Wykins or visit her website at mandywykins.com. Our theme music is composed by Cody Fry. You can check out more of his music at codyfry.com. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and that helps more people find this show. Well, that's it for today's episode. Be sure and join us next time for another episode of Animalators. Curious conversations from the world of animation. Animalators.